This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, for this opportunity to talk about what you want for our lives. Father, I pray that you will, you will honor our desire to actually do this and have this be our experience. Please bless our time the next hour. Uh, let the Holy Spirit be our teacher. In His name we pray. Amen. Okay, so in terms of thinking the big questions of life, right? Uh, in our age, this is very relevant Sometimes we feel, or I don't know if you feel that way, um, you feel like you're playing mind-reading games with God, right? He's sitting, you're sitting on a table, he's sitting across, across the table, and we think that he wants us to do this. Okay, I have something for you, guess what it is? And you go through a certain list. Is it this? Is it that? Is it this? Is it that? And God says, no, that's not it. God, God says, this is not it. Um, and we keep guessing, uh, until we find the right answer somehow, whether it's testing by our feelings uh, or by our reasoning, all these things, and then we think that this is the way to go. Um, one thing that we should know before we even you know, try to discover what God's will is, we need to know of his character, is that we have a God who longs to reveal his will to us. And that is the first thing that we need to remember, right? God doesn't want us to be confused forever. He doesn't want to be confused people, confused children of God. If you have that purity of heart, if you have that obedience, why wouldn't God want to reveal to you? He wants, he shows he's a God who reaches out to us. He's a God who wants to tell what he is thinking. He wants us to reflect his image. And so we are not here trying to uh, find out God's will. Um, aloof from God. We're not apart. Uh, he's not far from us. He's not aloof from us. He wants to be close and be in the process with us. So we talked about um, the biblical principles, what God says, and contrasting with how I feel. And in the previous seminar, we mentioned about how God in his word reveals principles, guidelines to live our lives. There are principles, there are things we should avoid uh, his law, his commandments, and that sets up boundaries, kind of offense around our life, things that we should avoid. But then there's the rest, right? The big questions, where do I need to go next? Where do I need to live? Do I, do I go back to school? Um, to whom to marry? Uh, where do I live? Etc. Etc. These huge things, uh, they're not formula. There's not any form- formula or list in the Bible that we can see, okay, this is where I need to go. So how do we approach or try to answer these questions? I'd like to submit that what we need is wisdom. And we'll be talking a good amount of this hour about this wisdom, this thing uh, that makes you make the right decision. This is a verse in Proverbs 8, 11 to 12. The Bible says, For wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. What is wisdom? Is this thing, I don't even know how to describe it, is this thing that is a combination of prudence, of knowledge, of discretion, it is that thing that makes you 
make the right decision. The, in the Old Testament, in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, the Bible talks about wisdom as something that is very, very precious. Right Here, it talks, it elevates wisdom, this thing, in such high level, it is so much more precious than rubies, than gold or silver. And if there's anything that you want to seek in life, you should seek wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom isn't just uh, obeying a bunch of rules, right? When you don't, it's, it's when you don't know all the information, what makes you choose certain things, what makes you make the right decisions. Let's open to a story in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16 to 28. If there's anyone that we call wise in biblical history, who would that be? It's Solomon, the wise men. This is a story that uh, perhaps a lot of us are familiar with growing um, from childhood, for example. And perhaps we grew up in the church. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16 to 28. It's a story that reveals wisdom. First Kings chapter 3, verses 16 to 28. I'm reading from the King James Version. There's a situation. Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, O my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after, I, after that I was delivered, that this woman delivered also, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me, while thine handmaid slept, and laid it her in a bosom, and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose up in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living son is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead son is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. So there's a situation. As a king, King Solomon is faced with so many different situations every single day, right? This particular one is quite complicated. Two women who were harlots, they lived together in a house with just the two of them. One of them gave birth to a child. And, and after three days that she gave birth, the other woman also gave birth to another son. So there are two babies, two women in the house. One night, one of them slept on her own baby, and the baby died. And she exchanged the baby with the other woman um, so, that, so that her baby would be alive. I don't know why she would do that. Um, and the other woman uh, was devastated when she woke up because she found out that the baby that was lying next to her was dead. But upon further examination, she found out that the baby was not really hers. Uh, a mother would know uh, her own child, so she knew. She knew her child, this is not mine. And that, uh, that baby, the other woman took, that's, that's the, real, the, real, um, the real son. So there are two testimonies, basically, two witnesses. And they, 
they came before the king because they couldn't resolve it to themselves. And King Solomon was faced in this situation. Now imagine, um, the, law, the law that is written for the kingdom at the time probably didn't have a specific written guidelines, a manual, a how-to on how to resolve two harlots, two women who are fighting for one living baby and who have conflicting testimonies, right? These are not, in, these are not written in the laws of Israel. Uh, and there are a, a gazillion other situations um, which don't have any written manual, as it is in our lives. There are so many different situations that we just don't have a manual to. And we need to exercise wisdom, right? And so we read on. In verse 23, Then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is the dead. Um, oh, sorry. This is my son that lives, and thy son is dead. And the other one saith, Nay, but thy son is the dead, and my son is the living. The king is recounting, Solomon's recounting the fact that one woman is saying, my son is alive, her son is dead, and the other one says pretty much exactly the same thing. Verse 24, and the king said, bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king. For her bowels yearned upon her son, and she said, O oh my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him, to do judgment. So what does wisdom do? Wisdom sees the situation before you, examines it, and it's this thing that makes, makes him, the point that he realized was that I'm going to do this one thing and this one thing is going to reveal the truth, right? He, he saw the two women and in his mind, if you can jump into Solomon's head at the time, he's thinking, I'm going to do this one thing, which is to call for a sword, and I'm going to initiate the effort to cut this baby in half. And this decision, not that he was cruel, not that he meant to kill the baby, but this decision that he made was going to re reveal the truth about these two women. When he decided to do this, in his wisdom, to bring the sword, what happened, right? It's plainly clear. The real mother did not want the child to die. Solomon knew a mother's love. You know, this is the principle of love that he wants to bring out of the situation. The real mother said, don't kill the baby. I care more that the baby is alive than I have the baby. The other woman just cares for equity. She just wants you know, equal treatment for, for everyone. If my child is dead, her child should be dead too, and that living child shouldn't, should, shouldn't be mine or shouldn't be hers, let it die. And that reveals. Solomon, in his wisdom, reveals, could reveal the truth out of the situation. So what we need, basically, wisdom, is a way to examine situations and to decipher and make decisions, to make the right decisions. How do we get this wisdom? 
in the Bible, not just Solomon. Um, Solomon's not the only one who has wisdom. Who else has wisdom in the Bible? This is a fascinating verses that I uh, was reading as I'm preparing for, for this seminar. It says, God has wisdom. Proverbs 3, verse 19. It says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. In Jeremiah 10 and 51, these verses are pretty much similar, but it, uh, it has two words that, that differ. In the first one, it said, He has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. In the second verse, this word discretion is replaced with understanding. So wisdom is coupled. It includes discretion, understanding. And here's the fascinating thing, right? It says, God, by wisdom, created the heaven and the earth. Now think in, in God's position when he was about to create heaven and earth. Was there a manual to create heaven and earth and how the systems would work? You know, when we see creation, it's magnificent, right? Um, I'm an engineer, so I really appreciate when systems interact well with each other and could be self-sustaining. God, when he started creation, it was just blank. It was just, there was nothing. And he said, let there be first light and darkness. Um, and then as he moves on, you know, he created the, the skies, uh, he created the lands and waters, and then he would fill them with animals and with uh, celestial bodies in the, in the latter part of creation. He made men, he made women. Creation is so complex, and it showed God's originality, right? This wisdom, he, God by wisdom created the heaven and earth, there was no manual. It was his, there's originality, there's individuality in his work. Just like when Solomon did that decision uh, with the sword, there's originality, there's individuality in this wisdom that he had. Now think about um, creation. I mean, there's a lot of different things that we can marvel and how creation works. Why should the tree grow? Have you ever asked that question? Just the fact that tree grows is marvelous. And God thought of that, and he created it by wisdom. He, he made things so that it could supply to others. In Desire of Ages, it talks about how every bit of creation has a ministry in its own. You know, every leaf, every animal has a ministry. It ministers to others, other things in creation. God was the one who thought of that in his wisdom. The Bible also talks about Jesus having wisdom. This is in Luke chapter 2, verse 40. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Jesus as a child was growing in wisdom. And this tells us that the adults or older people don't have a monopoly on wisdom, right? Um, children could be wise too. And there's a distinction between wisdom and knowledge here. You don't need to know every single thing to be wise. And there's, a, there's an element that, you know, this wisdom actually is in function when you don't know everything. You don't know all the uh, information, but you are still uh, able to make wise decisions to be wise. Jesus, as a child, was wise. And this wisdom, it says, 
it, it grows over time. It's something that could accumulate. That's why when we talk to adults or our parents or um, you know, elders in the church, we gain from their wisdom as they, as they grow older because we learn from experience. Mark chapter 6, verse 2. When the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, talking about Jesus, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? If we know the context of, of this statement, um, they are marveled that Jesus, uh, that Jesus had so much wisdom because he didn't go through the schooling that was established at the time to be a teacher or a rabbi in the synagogue, right? Um, he, he spent time you know, in the carpenter's shop. Uh, he didn't go through the schooling system, but they were amazed that he taught with such wisdom. And this wisdom that Jesus had, he learned directly from God. And this is a, a key point, um, is that wisdom can be learned. Wisdom can be uh, received from God. So in James chapter 1, verse 5, this is a famous verse. This is the good news for us because as we go through our lives and trying to discover God's will, this wisdom that makes us make the right decisions, we can ask for it. This is a gift. James 1, chapter 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to us, to all, liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. First thing about wisdom we can receive it. And this is uh, a gift from God. Uh, that's why it doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter where you're coming from, this wisdom um, is attainable. God promises to us. Actually, we can claim on this promise. If we ask, he will give it to us. Now, wisdom is not just, uh, not just to make the right decision. Right? It's not a tool that we use just to, when we make the, this big decisions in life. Wisdom actually encompasses a lot of different things. Um, in Exodus 28, verse 3, this is talking when the children of Israelites were gathering uh, the materials and the people to build the sanctuary. Exodus 28, verse 3, So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they, make me, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. Um, in these chapters, Exodus 31, 35, and 36, if you read through them, God is actually saying to Moses, I am giving the spirit of wisdom to the artisans, to the women who made the garments, uh, everyone who were doing craft works for, for the sanctuary, so this wisdom is not just to, you know, when we, what is it? A switch on and off when we're just trying to figure out where do I live next uh, or which school do I go to. This is on a day-to-day -day basis to do the work as well as you can do, you need wisdom. And, and the fact that you can do your work well is God's gift. God gave that to you. We saw God had wisdom when he created heaven and earth. We saw that Jesus had wisdom, and he grew in wisdom when he was living on earth. This next one is very relevant, especially when we're talking about Acts and the early church and how the Holy Spirit was 
filling the church with all kinds of different gifts. Um, in Ephesians 1, 15 to 18, the Bible talks the, of the Holy Spirit as the spirit of wisdom. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and, the, and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now pay attention to the middle section, right? It says, Paul is praying for the Ephesians to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Again, wisdom, understanding, discretion, always coupled together. That you may know, what is this wisdom for? That you may know what is the hope of his calling. Isn't that what we're talking about right now? Wisdom to know God's calling and the, and the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Colossians 1, 9-10, similar theme. Paul is um, writing to the Colossians, uh, church in Colossae. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Look at this. Knowledge of his will, wisdom, and understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. We talked about that purity of heart, right? That knowledge of God's will is so that you can walk worthy in it. Fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. This wisdom and finding out God's will, this is essentially equal to each other. In fact, there's a verse... Um, okay, let me say this first before, uh, before we go on to the next verse. Um, how does the Holy Spirit give you wisdom? Now, the Holy Spirit is not going to... Um, instead, of the, instead of the kind of like a fortune cookie mode, right? Lord, what am I to do now? And the Holy Spirit whispers to you this and that. He sometimes does that. But another way, another major way of him transforming us or being wise is the work in the inner, inner, inner self. It says here, uh, this is a quote from Spirit of Prophecy, an article from Review and Herald. The work of the Holy Spirit is immeasurably great. It is from this source that the power and efficiency come to the worker for God. Remember that those verses in Exodus? It is the Holy Spirit that makes you become efficient, an efficient worker for God. The way you do things, that's the Holy Spirit's work also. And the Holy Spirit is the comforter, the personal presence of Christ to the soul. The Holy Spirit is the agent by which our character is transformed to be like Christ. And so the way that he can reveal God's will through us is through our inner transformation, inner character, so that when we become more like Christ, we can know God's will, kind of naturally. Ephesians 5, 15-17 See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. Now look at this, right? It says, don't be unwise, but 
meaning that wisdom or being wise is equated to the second half of the statement. Being wise means understanding the will of God. So this wisdom that we need so um, desperately is the ability to understand the will of God, um, not in kind of like a knowledge form, it's not a list that we're trying to look for to make the right decisions, but to understand it in the essence, what is the will of God, and so we can make the right decisions. What we'll go through next um, is basically a couple of points, a couple of categories, things that will help us uh, practically how, what it means or how to gain this wisdom in our day-to-day -day, day -day basis. I like to you know, have something practical and tangible that we can all get away with. Um, so this is basically not that index card that Adam was talking about that you can put on on your fridge or, or your, your mirror, uh, the formula to answer the question that you may have in your mind right now. This is a way of thinking. This is how do I shape my mind so that it can be conformed to the will of God, so that I can understand and know in its essence. And it, uh, I hope it will become clearer as we, go, as we go along. How do we get this wisdom? The Bible talks about several sources. How do we make the right decision? How to gain this wisdom? The first one is knowing God. When we talk about knowing God's will, the most important thing is that we know God himself, right? We're not trying to know God, to get closer to God, to get the answer out from him. You know, there's no kind of mantra that you say in prayer so that he can tell you what the will of God is. The key point is actually to know him pers in person himself, not just to know what his will for my life. You want to know all of God, and you're not going to just draw near to God, draw closer to God just because you want some answer from Him. Knowing God. These three things are basic, right? These are almost the answer to all questions that we have. Um, Bible study, prayer, communion with God. You just have to spend time with God to know who He is. Now, this is, this is generic, but I want to focus on one aspect of it. Why do we need to do these things uh, so that we can... Why do we need to know God? Why, what, what are we um, doing Bible study for? What are we doing prayer for? Um, share a little story. When I was preparing for, uh, for this seminar, um, if you guys know Amy, Miss, Miss Shepherd, Amy Shepherd is a very good friend of mine. And... When I was uh, preparing this for, for GYC, they asked us to do little biographies, right, of each of the speakers, little um, details or little blurbs, who, who I am, who we are. And uh, Amy had sent in a draft because, because that space in the booklet was blank. Uh, so he, she sent in a paragraph about me, basically, describing my biography. She knows me pretty well. And then a couple of weeks later, I sent in my own my own sentences, because I didn't know that Amy had done it for me. And, um, and she saw that, and she emailed me right away, basically including the two paragraphs. And it was essentially identical. So, like, the, it, was, it was amazing, because not just the details, but the ordering of things wow. were pretty much essentially the same. Wow. It was pretty, uh, we had a good laugh out of it. But the point is this, you know, being close to a friend, and most of us have this 
uh, experience in our life. We have someone we know very, very well. And knowing someone very well is not just knowing about their information, the details of their lives. Oh, she went to this school, she did this, she did that after this, the timeline of her life, um, when she was born, or what is favorite color, her favorite color. Um, but the intimacy that we're talking about and the intimacy that we want to get from God, what we want to have with God, is an intimacy that you just don't know the details about them. You even know what they would do in certain situations. You know the lines of their thoughts. You know what their inclinations are. You know what they would do in this situation, in that situation. Amy didn't just know the details of my life, which school I went to, what I like doing in my free time. She even knew not perhaps consciously, but subconsciously, how I would even write my own bio. And this is the level of knowing God that we want to get. And this, of course, this helps us knowing God's will, right? You know a friend, uh, if she would react certain, certain, in a certain way, or he would react in a certain way in facing certain situations. And this is how we can get, or we can know God's will for our lives. If we know God himself, if we know his character, if we know how he, what he likes and what he doesn't like, then it's, it clarifies what his will is in general and for my life. That we would know how he'd like, he'd like me to respond to certain situations. Spend your time reading the Bible and spirit of prophecy. Um, this point, shaping your worldview. We're talking about changing our minds so that our minds can be in conformity to God's will. Um, I read a lot of books. I'm a huge bookworm. Um, and sometimes, you know, people talk about, oh, what should you read? Um, what is the list? Or what books shouldn't you read? As if there's, there's a, you know, there's, there's kind of like a rule or list. And there are general principles, of course. Um, but in the principles in, in reading and why we should read, especially the Bible and Spirit Prophecy, is that every book that we read, everything that we put into our minds, change the way we think. And this is done subconsciously. And so we need to be really careful what, what things we put into our minds, right? Every book, every sermon we listen, every speech, and not just in church situation. I'm talking about things in the world. There are abundance of information everywhere. Um, when you're exposed to things, that information or that book, I'm going to use a book as an illustration. That book is going to change you one way or the other. And unless you have a strong worldview, you can be influenced by the thought that is in that book. Um, there's just maybe you're reading a story, maybe you're reading fiction. You know, fiction isn't just for fun. There's an underlying worldview that comes from the author to you. And this is why we need to be aware, we need to be careful when we read certain literature. It shapes your worldview and it changes the way you think. When we saturate ourselves with the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, the worldview that we will get is the biblical worldview. And you will notice this because when you are saturated with these principles and you see other things, you notice the change. You notice um, this doesn't seem to be right. Even though you may not know, you may not have faced it before, you can have that discernment. You know, the Holy Spirit can tell you or you have this framework to gauge whether certain things are in accordance to God's will or not. And so this is important. 
when we try to know God, when we are getting closer to God, to saturate ourselves with the materials that He sanctions, right? Saturate yourself with Spirit of Prophecy, the Bible. We have tons of materials. It shapes your mind, not just the knowledge. Oh, I know this Bible verse means this way. It changes the way you think. Changes the way you think of education, for example. Why am I going to school? Um, especially if you're like me, going to a secular university. What are they teaching? And how does that fit into my worldview? We're not just sitting in there accepting every single information that they give because I need to reflect upon those to see whether they are in accordance to God's will for me. This is a practical tip. When we are learning um, through the Bible, uh, through the spirit of prophecy, an exercise of the mind. This is something fun that uh, I like to do, and it was suggested to me too. You practice contrasting your thoughts with God's thoughts during devotion. Um, how many of you, when you read the Bible, and you find certain passages that are just problematic, either ethically or, or it's just, you know, we have this 21st century mind. When we read the Bible, sometimes things don't, uh, don't seem to be in full alignment with how we would, we would do certain things. Um, I decided one time that I would stop every time I had a problem uh, with, with the Bible text. Um, and I was reading the book of Exodus, and it was immediate, basically. Because I have this mind, the 21st century mind, when I approached the Bible, um, I came through you know, the story of the midwives of the Egyptian, uh, the, how they were... It seemed like they were lying, but God was rewarding them. And, you know, these ethical questions that come up, uh, because I don't know the full context. I decided to stop at every instance of those, and it took me very, a very, very long time to finish the book, basically. But this is an exercise to, to mold your mind, to see the contrast of your thoughts and God's thoughts, and to conform in that direction. So when you read your devotions, you know, take time to think about what you're reading. Are you actually agreeing with, with the Bible? Not to say that the Bible is wrong, but so that you know how to change, so that you can conform to, the, what, the, to what the Bible is saying. Does this make sense? Contrast your minds with God's thoughts. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and we need to know the difference. And these are pretty evident in most cases. So knowing God, we want to know God in person, personally, who He is. Um, what does He like? What He doesn't like? The second source of, um, of knowing God's will and becoming wise in our lives, as Adam was mentioning before, is godly counsels and examples. We are blessed to be in a church community. Um, and I'll say this because I'm sure many of you share this uh, too. Being in a secular environment, one thing I notice is that, especially for young people and young generations, it could be very easy to live in a, in a life that is, um, you only hang out with people of the same age. You're only hanging out with people that you like or you share same interests uh, in the age group. I hang out with young people all the time. And, um, and what the result of that, um, I mean, it's fun, of course, because you share the same interests, but the, the consequence of that is sometimes you get a narrow perspective of life. You don't know outside of your age what other people are experiencing. 
just the fact that we are in a church community makes us actually more wise if we are intentional about it. At church, you're exposed to people of different ages. There's children, uh, teenagers, you know, young adults, um, older people, the elders, parents, grandparents. Take advantage of this church community in this way. Get to know them. They're a blessing to your life. Don't just hang with your own group of people um, doing the same things week after week. Take advantage of their life experiences. Learn from them. Learn from people's lives. Um, some of the stories that you know, the grandparents in our church can share are pretty fascinating. You know, they, see, they see history more than we have. Um, take advantage of them. And you learn that life is not just you know, being, being youthful. We have a lot of energy. We can do all kinds of things. Um, you get a broader perspective and understanding uh, that is not just limited to your age. Take advantage of the church community. I see sometimes, some cases where you know, people just hanging with the same age. Um, there are differences in the way they make decisions that are not as forward-thinking. They're not as long-term thinking. You know, when we interact with older people, or talk to our parents, you know, how many of us talk to our parents, see what their lives are like, right? I mean, this is what I was thinking, right? Like, our parents, for example, I'm, you know, mid-20s. I know my parents as parents for about 20 years, but before they had me, they had an entire life, basically, before them. What did they do? You know, my parents moved away, started from scratch, maybe started a business. Lots of stories there and lots of wisdom to be gained from other people's experiences. So take advantage of these. Um, be curious. Be curious, get to know people, get to know their stories and learn from them. Not as a formula, right? You're just gathering data, basically. Um, there are many ways that people can live lives and that could, and as you understand, as you gather all these information, you can gauge more properly how does that apply to you. Godly, godly counsels. It is very, very important in making huge life decisions to surround ourselves with multiplicity of counsels. We want to surround ourselves with godly people in our lives who know what it means to know God personally, who can read the Bible, who, who are prayerful, who loves to commune with God, um, why? Because it surrounds us, basically it gives us accountability. There are certain things that um, we, in the middle of situation, we're just blind to, because either because of emotions, because uh, other pressures, we don't see certain things clearly, um, especially in terms of relationships, right? Um, how many of you have seen people who are just blind because they're in emotions? This happens a lot. When, when you're in the situations, it's very easy to be blind. And something that is very evident to a third party may, may be um, just unclear to you. So it's very important to have these people that you can trust in your lives, who can give you counsel, give you other perspective. In, in point C, I put this, I put this statement. Um, I tend to be you know, the logical kind too. Uh, in, in logic classes or in math classes, um, there's this thing called the necessary and sufficient condition. So in godly counsels, um, there's, a bit of, there's a bit of a twist. It's necessary, we need to have them in our lives, but it's not sufficient in this way. 
you cannot rely 100% on just the counsel of other people to know what to do with your lives, right? These are necessary, but not sufficient. They are secondary to counsel from God. We need to remember that first point that we're going through before. We need to get counsel from God first and foremost. Um, the godly counsels will serve as a protection, as a confirmation also. It helps us to think rightly, um, but we need, we need to get the answer from God. That is, uh, there's no compromise to that, right? Warning, be, beware of self-justification from people's opinions. Sometimes you want to do certain things, and it sounds, it sounds right. Um, you, you, you're probably not sure if you're supposed to do this thing or not, and what you do is you tell it to your friends, and if they see, say it's fine, well, you know, maybe I can do it. I mean, everyone thinks, everyone around me thinks it's fine. Um, this, be aware of that. I mean, it's very easy to get into, into this mode of thinking. Self-justification. Just because everyone is saying it's fine, it looks fine to me. But the fact is, perhaps, you know, God is saying, or perhaps it's already clear to you that you shouldn't do certain things, but you just want to do it, so you're seeking self-justification from other people. So this is the, the, the twist, right? You need to have godly counsels, people who can give you advice in your life, but you need to measure it and weigh it in the proper context in that it is um, subjective or it is um, inferior or it is, how should I say, it's subject to whatever it is God is revealing to you. Third thing to uh, think or to, to be wise in making decisions is asking the right questions. Um, we're talking about the big decisions in life. You know, the questions that we ask determine your mode of thinking. Asking the right question is important, not just the answer. Um, I'm, I, I mentioned I'm, I'm a graduate student uh, in engineering, so that means the bulk of my time is doing research. So what, what is research? Yeah, it's academic scientific research. It's, it's going to a, a space or this um, step or arena where you don't even know what the problem is, right? You, there, there's, you want to do something that has never been done before. There's no guidelines. There's no formula. It's not like, um, you know, classes, sometimes they give you the answer and you get, you get tested and there's answer. There's the right answer. You know, you just need to get into your mind. Um, with research, it's a little different. What you need to do is apply the principles that you learn and you're trying to move into, uh, move forward, push the field further. And there's no guidelines and there's no way to tell um, sometimes which way is right or which ones are not until maybe further on in the future. And so the questions that I ask will determine where I'm going to go. When we ask big questions like, is this a, the person I'm going to marry? What is the answer that you're expecting God to, to say? It's a yes or no question, right? The, the type of question that you ask frames your mind to expect certain answers from God, certain types of answers. Perhaps God is trying to tell you something else, but because you're not asking the questions, your mind is not ready to receive that kind of answer. Um, huge questions like this. Don't just ask a yes or no question. Break down the questions, right? Big questions like this. 
am I going to this school or that school? Like what's an example that Adam, Adam gave. Break it down. What does it mean to go to Harvard as opposed to going to Yale? You know, there's the locations, there's the church environment, if you care about ministry. Um, how are your gifts being applied in different situations or different locations? Break down the, ans the, the questions to answerable questions. You know, so, you know, if you just ask Harvard or Yale, the answer that you're expecting is either Harvard or Yale. But in reviewing which decisions to make, um, each of those has associated other details. And so you want to break down the question uh, to be able to answer, for example, is there a church nearby? Am I going to, be a, to have a support group close by there? Um, how, does, how is that going to impact my spiritual life? And when we are going through all these, uh, these questions, it is wise to suspend judgment. So don't be swayed by, by incidents, like all these different signs or different happenings. Take all of those into account. Just in general, you know, take the big view. Don't conclude right away to suspend the judgment. Um, and take everything into account. Weigh them properly. This sounds really scientific, I guess, because I'm biased. Gather data, weigh things properly, and, and trust that God will reveal to you um, in a way that you can understand. So, you know, for example, if, if you know someone who's done this science things to discover what God's will for your life, um, it sounds good, but it may not, and maybe, maybe it works, maybe God spoke to him or her that way, but it doesn't mean that that, that will work for you, right? Like, for example, um, I tend to be the logical person too, so I don't trust my own emotions. You know, I don't trust, trust this, this science. I tend to be skeptic for these things. Um, so, so even if those things happen, it doesn't do anything to me because I'm not, I'm not in that mindset. Um, ask God that he will reveal it to you in the way that you will know. And, uh, and this is an, an, easy, an easy prayer. And God wants you to understand his will. And he's not going to um, put the answer somewhere in the desert where it is inex inaccessible to you. So trust that God will answer your question. Given that you have that purity of heart, that obedience, that humility, you know, everything that we talked about before applies here as well. Fourth thing, know yourself. We're talking about knowing your natural inclinations. What are you like? Knowing yourself is very important, and um, this applies to all of the different questions that we're talking about. Should I pursue education, ministry, or am I working, am I going to school? Um, who should you attach yourself for the rest of your life? It's important to know yourself. Discover your abilities, interests, and gifts. These are uh, not random. God has given to each of us certain ways of thinking. We're all wired differently. Certain things we like and we don't like. Um, certain things that are... Um, quali certain qualities that are distinct from others. Discover what these are for you. And this will help you determine where you should go or which situations fit to your situation. Watch for God's providence. Um, 
you want to do certain things, but if the door isn't open, then it's just not open, right? Watch what God is doing, which doors are, um, which ways, which, how does he provide for you? Which way does he seem to lead you to? Um, be attentive to the things that happen in your life. And again, not in that science mode, not in the fortune cookie mode. This thing happened, this thing happened, it means I you know, switch my mind every single second. In that gathering of data stage, right? You consider every single thing um, and you bring those into prayer and have a conversation with God. Watch where God is leading. Watch what God is doing in your life. One way to know yourself is to take action. And um, I think it was referred to a little bit too. Um, sometimes there are people who are pray and pray and pray and pray and never make decisions. Some things will never be clear unless you move forward. Take action. Engage in service, especially in this knowing yourself stage. When you apply yourself, when you are engaged yourself in communities, in, in church, in service, you interact with others, your character is being revealed because you, know, you rob characters with other people. You face differences, you face conflicts, you learn from others and reveal certain things from you too. There's a quote in uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's talking about giving up ourself in service. It says, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. He's actually talking about um, originality and um, in, in social situations, for example, the context of this, of this quote. Uh, if you're trying to be original, if you're trying for others to like you, um, you, actually, you will actually lose that. That's not going to happen. When you lose yourself, when you forget what it is, you know, we're just too focused, sometimes we're too focused on what God's will is for me, 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 me. We sit in our rooms and just, you know, what do I need to do, what do I need to do, what do I need to do? There, there are good times, there are, there's a time to get out of your room. I mean, there, there's a limit to how things can be clear within the perimeters of your own bedroom, right? Engage in service, interact with others, and this will reveal certain traits of your character, that abilities and gifts and interests. Uh, you can realize maybe the things that I thought I like is not very, I mean, I'm not too crazy about them anymore. You know, you need to expose yourself in different experience to discover these things. We mentioned this before, your character is known and refined interactions with others. When we are in, uh, in a church, for example, you face conflicts, face arguments, you need to, uh, you have disagreements. This is a chance to exercise love, to exercise, to have that character of Christ. Um, it's easy sometimes to be Christian when you're just by yourself. No one's bothering me. I'm a good Christian. No one's, you know, no one's making me angry. <laughs> but your character is not improved unless you face those situations. You, you don't know whether you have a bad temperament um, unless you're faced with certain situations. So get out. Engage in service. Some things will not be clear until you decide to move forward. We mentioned this before. Cultivate curiosity, diversity of experience. Um, and there are many ways to do this too. Um, this day and age, young people or whoever can be engaged in different community service or different projects in, in different areas. Your church has 
a lot of different ministries. Um, it's not necessarily that when you do something, God needs to reveal to you this is going to be your life work for the rest of your life. Um, but, but there is space and there is room that you can explore. Experience different things. Especially for young people like us, we don't know. Um, sometimes we think that we need to know what we are going to do for the rest of our life and find our passion in life uh, forever until we die. Uh, sometimes as you get out and do and move forward, your passion will find you. So you never know. Um, don't be close-minded. Experience different things. If you can experience different cultures, um, just to widen your horizon, widen your perspective, so that you can make proper judgment. I do this because I'm a nerd through books. I read lots of books and a lot of different interests to test, you know, are certain things, am I really interested in this thing or not? Practical tip to, to gain wisdom. If, if there's one thing that you, can, you, can, you want to take away, um, or one thing you want to remember, one, one practical thing, from this seminar is to cultivate a habit of reflection. Last night um, in the devotions, we went through this passage. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is a habit that will make you wiser, guaranteed. Take time to reflect. Take time to think about what happened to you throughout the day, uh, throughout the month, throughout the year. Never leave an event, never leave an event like this, GYC, without reflection. Don't just go home and go straight to work or straight to studying, whatever it is that we're doing, without thinking what it is that God has taught me. And it's useful to record this, um, to have a method of recording what are your life and spiritual lessons over time. Um, if you journal, then that's a great way to do it. I'm not a journaling person. I keep a blog, so I use that as a tool. Other ways you can do, maybe just little scribbles or notes, little mementos, right? As you move forward and you, as you walk with Christ over time, he's teaching you different things at every lesson. Um, don't leave GYC without reflecting what it is specifically that God has taught me in this GYC not necessarily pertaining to the big life questions that you're asking, the, this God's will for me, but just in general, uh, to be a better Christian, be a better uh, child of God. What is it that God is teaching me? And we, as you record this, and over time, and as you look back in weeks or months or years, you can see where are the path that God has led you. And this will give you perspective in how to move forward, whether certain things seem to deviate or not, and God can lead you to another direction, but it just gives you perspective, right? Who are you spiritually? Your spiritual journey is different than the person next to you. You know, we're all Christian, we're all Seventh-day Adventists, going to GYC, eating the same thing, wearing similar clothes, but your spiritual journey is different, and God is leaving, um, leading each of our lives in very, very distinct way. So what made you, you as a Christian, as a Seventh-day Adventist? And if sometimes we, we don't record this, if we are not intentional, um, we don't know. You know, we go through life, and we're in retirement age, and still wondering, what is God's life for me? Well, it's kind of like late, right? I mean, you're wasting a lot of time. So don't lose 
uh, opportunities to reflect. Take advantage of key events, spiritual events, if you go any retreats, revivals, uh, birthdays. It's a good time to reflect. What have you done this year? How did you grow this year spiritually? New Year's, we're going to New Year's um, soon. Take advantage of these key events uh, as little mementos of where God has led you. And again, as you see this, you can see patterns, patterns of your life. Uh, you collect uh, a, lot of different, a lot of different events, a lot of different lessons, and you can see this, um, a bigger picture of your life, of God's will for your life. This is a fascinating quote from Acts of the Apostles. It says, let us not love in word, the apostle writes, but in deed and in truth. The completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within. It is the atmosphere of this love surrounding the soul of the believer that makes him a savior of life unto life and enables God to bless his work. What does this do? What, is, what does this have uh, anything to do with God's will? You know, this, this section where it talks about the impulse to help and bless others, this is God's will too, right? We're not talking about God's will just to make uh, decisions, these um, big things in our particular lives, but God's will also includes being a good Christian, being kind, being loving to your neighbor. That's God's will too. And we're talking about obedience and the things that God had shown you. Um, you need to exercise these parts too. But the, the thing that I want to highlight from this, from this quote is that there's a, a time when God's command, what God's will is, becomes so internalized that you, by impulse, follow God's will. And this is, this is the, the goal that we want to attain. It says, the completeness of Christian character. If you, in your innermost soul, is like Christ, this is the goal that we want to be. The impulse to do God's will, in this sense, to help and bless others, just come to you naturally and constantly. And isn't this a blessing? If we just know God's will, not by external information, but we, we know it because we know God, we know it because who we are have been transformed. And this is the, the essence, kind of like the thesis of this section. Wisdom, that character being able to understand God's will, um, not just in the outside sense, but also in our, in our innermost, in our entire being, we're being transformed to be in accordance with God's will. Checking what time it is. Okay, it's almost, it's almost over. Um, two verses, uh, and, then, and, we'll, and then one more, and then we'll close. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. Going back to that obedient heart, it says, a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. If you obey God, you will have a better understanding. Proverbs 4, verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. In all you're getting, get understanding. We need to be seeking this thing. We, um, I, I know for, in my experience, I don't hear a lot of talks about you know, young people being wise and to getting, getting wisdom. So I think this is important and sometimes is missing. Um, we, as young people, have to be intentional in getting wisdom, in asking God for wisdom. 
Last passage, there's a beautiful poem in Job chapter 28. Why don't we all turn there? And this will be our last thing before we close. Um, it's very, very poetic, and it reveals that mysterious aspect of, of wisdom. Um, it kind of uh, summarizes everything that we've been talking to very, very nicely. This wisdom, this thing that makes you make the right decision. Job 28, verses 12 to 28. It says, But where shall wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? Where do you get this? Man knows not the price thereof, neither it is found in the land of the living. The deaf said, It is not in me. The sea says, It is not with me. It cannot be gotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir, or the precious onyx, or the sapphire. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it, and the exchange of it shall not be for jewels or fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it, neither shall it be valued with pure gold. Whence then comes wisdom? Where is the place of understanding? Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowls of the air. Destruction and death say, We have heard of the fame thereof with our ears. God understands the way thereof. He knows the place thereof. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heaven to make the weight for the winds. He weighs the waters by measure when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder. Then did he see it and declare it. He prepared it, yea, he searched for it, for it. And unto men he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you acknowledging um, that we are unwise people. And we desperately need your wisdom, Father, to be uh, a faithful child of yours and also to make these decisions in our life so that we can um, be, that we can live to our full potential that we can realize your thoughts of us so help us father that this will be our experience and as we seek to grow to have this wisdom in our life we claim your promise father that if we ask you will grant it to us be with us the rest of the day in Jesus name we pray amen this message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.